Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Consistent Runner Girls Notable Peeps, the series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming, all my dreams are humming, all my dreams are coming true. Hey guys, it's Steph. Welcome to the Notable Peeps podcast. I am so excited for today's guest. I heard her speak a couple years ago, and her name is Natalie Thorson Harris. And she talked about how, as a kid, she had a learning disability. She didn't feel like she was smart in school. And when she went to junior high, she started to to dress the part of Oxford student. And later, she went to to law school and even did an internship at Oxford. So, welcome, Natalie. How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing great. Thanks, Steph. So, Natalie, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience of how you? dressed changed the way that you thought about yourself? Yeah. So in elementary school, I had an undiagnosed learning disability and reading and writing were very difficult. Math seemed like a language that was was invented just to torture me. And um, it was, it was really difficult. I was known as the stupid kid. I got teased a lot. I was teased by students, but I was also teased occasionally by teachers that I think were just frustrated and thought that maybe I wasn't giving it my best shot. And they didn't realize that I really was having a really difficult time understanding the material because I I had a hard time reading it. And I was almost held back a couple of times and some teachers approached my parents and told them that I probably wouldn't graduate from high school and that college wouldn't be an opportunity that I would probably enjoy. And looking back on that, that's kind of a big uh, assumption to make about a kid in, in elementary school, but that's what they were told. And I'm lucky I have really awesome parents that believed in me and were just amazing advocates. And they knew how hard I was working on homework and other things at home. And they knew that I was having struggles. They didn't understand why, um, but they really, they supported me and they kept telling me that they knew I was intelligent and that if it never showed up on tests, they they would still love me as long as I was doing my best. And so I remember I used to bring home like D's and occasionally maybe maybe I'd get like a C or a B and my mom would really celebrate those with me because she knew how hard I'd worked for those those grades, even though other par- parents might have been upset with about them. But I just remember just wanting to be known as a, as a smart person and wanting to be known as somebody intelligent. And I, I saw those kids in my class and the respect <laughs> that they seemed to get even as little sixth graders or um, whatever age. And I thought, well, I want to be like that kid. And so in junior high, I had the opportunity to start over. I ended up going to a junior high that very few children from my elementary school attended. And I thought, okay, I'm going to reinvent myself, (laughs) like almost Madonna style. I don't know. Um, In the style of Madonna, but the reinvention part I was really interested in. And I remember watching... TV shows and looking at different, you know, stereotypes or different people that were available to me through the TV and looking at nerds. And I thought, well, I want to look like that. I want to dress like that. I remember Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties. I don't know how many people <laughs> would remember that show, but um, 
I just thought he was he was styling, man. I I just really thought, you know, people respect him. <laughs> and I didn't want the money grabbing part, but the, the the intelligent part was very attractive to me. And so I remember I think it was in eighth grade, but I I bought my first business suit. And um, in eighth grade, you bought a in eighth grade. I bought a business suit with babysitting money. I I did a lot of secondhand shopping and a lot of outlet shopping. But I would take my babysitting money and I would buy these just ridiculous clothing choices for for a, a very young girl. But yeah, so I bought my first business suit. Um, I bought a pair of glasses that I didn't need because I didn't need glasses at the time and I bought a bunch of ties and I would wear these items and where most people try to look cool in junior high I really thought well I'm going to look like an attorney I'm going to look like you know somebody who's smart and although I did get teased a little bit for those choices it was amazing to me especially looking back how much it really impacted people's Uh, opinions of me and how different teachers and students started to to treat me in the classroom. Wait, so I'm just picturing you, not only are you in a business suit, but you have your like tie and glasses and seventh grade, everyone wants, like you said, they want to look cool. They're in their jinkos or (laughs) whatever style. (laughs) So of course people are going to be like, wow, this girl, she knows her stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I it was shocking to me because I ended up making some great friends in junior high, which I didn't really um, have a lot of in elementary school. But there, I think, I think sometimes junior high kids respect the whole attitude of somebody willing to step outside the box. And so, like I said, I was definitely teased, but we didn't have a ton of money growing up. And so I knew I couldn't afford some of the styles that were really popular among the the teenage crowd or the junior high crowd of my day. Um, And so I think I accepted that I wouldn't be able to dress the way that everybody else dressed. And I did. I did in some ways. I didn't wear a business suit every day. And I would say as I got more established with friends, I think I toned down the the business look. And frankly, it was, I also got more established in a reputation, which was, again, fascinating to me. And I can explain a little bit more about that. But yeah, it definitely, I definitely didn't fit in. Luckily, I didn't do everything at once. So for example, if I wore the business suit, I would wear it with a collared shirt, but no tie. (laughs) And no glasses. But if I wore the the tie, I would maybe wear the tie with a collared shirt and jeans. I I tried to balance it out. Business (laughs) casual, I see. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, it definitely it definitely was different. I did not see anybody else wearing business suits to class. And the thing that I love most about your story is the self fulfilling prophecy. I mean, like I learned about a ton in in college where if you think that you're something whether it's positive or negative you're going to become that you know absolutely I there's a great quote by Edith Head that says you can have anything you want in life if you dress for it and I've always really loved that quote but I think it applies just as you said to not only how we dress but also what we think you know one of the thing, things I work with individuals when I'm doing consulting work for them is that you're the expert on you and so people are going to believe the message that you're sending out about yourself and so when I started dressing like um, again this is a cliche but an, an uber nerd 
I I began being treated as if I was intelligent. And, and so that was probably the biggest shock, where in elementary school, if I didn't know the answer to a question, I was teased for not being intelligent, or I was teased for not, my teachers would make assumptions about me not doing assignments. In junior high, it was amazing because I sat on the front row, I acted like, well, I was really paying attention, and then I dressed in this manner. And so when I didn't know the answer to a question, the teacher, instead of assuming that I was off task, would assume that they hadn't asked the question in the right way. And so I was treated completely differently and had much more support. So I had teachers that would explain things to me after class, or I would go in at lunch and get extra tutoring, or they would change the way they were teaching. I later did student teaching for a, a short time when I was in my undergrad and it was amazing that you really shift the way you teach to make sure that the the majority of students are understanding you. So I think when a teacher would kind of assess where the, the nerdy girl was at and see that she was having a hard time understanding, they kind of shifted the way they were teaching. And that, I mean, I also had a lot of support, again, from my parents and we found ways to cope with my learning disability in other ways. So I also was starting to to learn different tricks and ways to work around um, some of the struggles that I had. So I was improving as well, but I think if I had stayed with the kind of support that I had had in elementary school, even if I had been able to improve upon my learning disability, I don't know if I would have had the opportunity to progress. I don't know if you ever watched Boy Meets World, but I'm like, you went from a Sean to a Minkus. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just love that that, that with the teachers, that instead of them thinking like you were goofing off or not paying on task, that you were able to receive that that extra support. And you talked about with your parents that you guys use different tools or, or tricks with your learning. What were some of those things that you guys did? So um, my mom got me a series of different tutors and um, we actually started working with a couple of people at the school school and I I was able to finally learn how to read. I probably couldn't read very well, if at all, until around fourth grade. And then we ca- it kept on improving and so that around seventh grade, I was able to, to read with a little bit more confidence. And so um, my mom actually was a tutor and a teacher. And so she would tutor kids that were older than me for free so that then they could tutor me in subjects that they were better in. So like if a kid was good in math but struggling in history, she would tutor the kid in history and then he would tutor me in math. I just was thinking right now, like here you were saying that in fourth grade you couldn't read very well and now you are a lawyer. You know, like that is determination that you can, I don't, I, I just love it. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. I I really I'm grateful for everybody who's given me a lot of support. Um, I could not have done it without without everyone, and probably not without a change in style occasionally, which, which seems ridiculous. But it, it it was my experience. So totally, and I I just want to that first time that you got like came home and you had an A on a test or a report card. How did you feel? Oh my gosh, I felt like I was on top of the world because I had always seen kids go home with straight A's. I actually, my first, I got a couple A's, but the one that sticks out was the first report card I got where I had straight A's. I might have still had a B in math, but it seemed like I had straight A's in my mind. Um, And it was in ninth grade, and I remember I went home, and my whole life I had heard about 
kids getting, you know, pizza parties or a car, I don't know, because they got such good grades. And I went home to my mom, I ran in the door, and I, like, threw the the report card at her, just so proud. And I said, Mom, look, I'm smart. I got straight A's, and I was so excited. And she, almost without blinking, just said, Oh, I'm so happy for you. And I said, well, aren't we going to celebrate or do something? And she was slicing up vegetables, and I will never forget this, as long as I live. But she looked up at me, and she said, Natalie, I told you I would love you just the same if you got C's or if you got D's or if you got A's. And as long as you're trying your hardest, I'm always going to be proud of you. And so this really doesn't change anything because I've always known you were smart, and I always knew you were trying your hardest. And, like, she was still excited for me because she knew I was happy, but it was a great learning opportunity to learn that, you know, whether I succeeded or failed in the world's eyes, my family was always going to support and love me. And it really, it opened the door up to take risks and um, apply myself in ways that maybe I wouldn't have if I thought that my family's love was dependent on on how I succeeded in different things. That example of unconditional love. Yeah. Growing up as a teenager, even your friends, it's very conditional on like if what you have or if you're cool or different things, but that you had that stability at home that she's like, hey, I'm going to love you regardless what grades you get. Absolutely. It was, a, it was a big blessing and one that I think I even recognized at the time, but something as I've gotten older, I realize is, unfortunately, I think rare that, you know, kids, especially kids that maybe aren't conforming to what success or a good kid looks like for their parents to recognize that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate. That, that is very fortunate to have parents that, that support you regardless. So... I want to talk a little bit about you started getting straight A's and and then how did you come about the career choice of being a lawyer? So um, I, again, I was told I would never graduate, well, that it would be unlikely that I would graduate high school. And so I, I think I had this deep, deep need to prove myself. In fact, I know I did. I I was full of insecurity. (laughs) Despite my family's love, I felt just this you know, in my soul need to prove people wrong that were maybe not very nice to me or or said different things. And so I really applied myself in high school. It was a really nice feeling to be able to succeed at school because I had worked so hard before and not seen results. So when I started applying myself and with the, the support of my family and learning how to work around my learning disability, when I was finally able to see results, I felt like I was on fire. It just was such an amazing feeling and such a a great opportunity that I wanted to take full advantage of it. So I, I worked really hard in high school and continued to dress the part. I was often mistaken for um, a student teacher at my school. Uh, <laughs> we had security guards that would walk the halls, and I I ended up joining like academic decathlon and the student council, anything that would again like add to that image of being a nerd. And I would be on an errand maybe for them during class, and I would get stopped by a security guard and they would ask me what I was teaching and I'd say no I'm a student and they'd say oh you're a student teacher what are you teaching today and I was like okay <laughs> so I I could really go anywhere on campus that I wanted in high school it was an interesting experience but um, I it was a, it was a lot of fun and again I probably wasn't the most fashionable person but I had a good group of friends and I I enjoyed 
I enjoyed looking professional, and so I would say that probably what inspired me, though, to go to law school was after my undergrad education, and I relaxed a little bit more in undergrad. I didn't wear the the styling ties as much uh, at all. I, I kind of stopped that. I felt like by the time I was in higher education, I didn't feel that need to prove myself in that way anymore. Mm-hmm. I probably started conforming more to what, you know, the professors were wearing or other things. But unfortunately, probably the number one thing that motivated me to go to law school was that deep insecurity still. I was 21 when I started law school, and I really felt the need still to prove myself. And a professional degree seems like the thing that would make me feel whole about myself and about my intelligence level. And I thought that nobody would be able to question if I was smart or not if I went to law school. Ironically, Law school is not a good place to go if you are feeling (laughs) insecure about (laughs) your intelligence level. (laughs) And I, uh, I, yeah, that it was a tough, tough experience, but one that I, I'm really grateful for. Well, you went to BYU's law school, which is tough to, that's an accomplishment even to get in, but to... Yeah, yeah, it was, it was an experience. I had a particularly, um competitive class too and so the the professors I actually overheard our professors making fun of us one time about how intense um intense our class was but yeah it was I felt like the dumb kid in class again I think that most people though did I think there were probably a couple that felt intelligent in law school and that I can't even imagine what that would have felt like. Um, I've, I actually married somebody I met in law school, and, and he's a very intelligent person, but he felt like the, the dumb kid in law school. So I think it's the way it's set up is made to um, make you question yourself and make you realize that you don't know it all. And so for a person who already knew I didn't know it all, it, it knocked the stuffing out of me for a while. But at the same time, it, it made me kind of face some of those insecurities and deal with them instead of constantly running away from them and trying to outwork or create this illusion that I was something um, that I wasn't. I kind of had to figure out what I really was. And uh, apart from dress and apart from reputation and other things, and I know who I really was as a person. And it was a great, it was a great opportunity. And so, as much as I love dress and style and marketing yourself, um, it, it was a good opportunity to realize that that really isn't what the world, what happiness is made of, at least. You know, there comes a point when you have to face those insecurities and be like, okay, you know, these things on paper can make me look really cool or that I'm successful, but who am I inside and to be okay with that. And as you were talking about how everyone felt like dumb in law school, isn't that, I was hearing about it the other day, isn't that like imposter syndrome? Oh yeah, I think I felt like I fairly belonged in undergrad and then as soon as I, probably within the first 24 hours of me being in law school, um, I had a complete breakdown of imposter syndrome. It was like everything smacked me in the face. I think I spent the first night after orientation like just crying because I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Oh, I bet. Can we go back though to that you met your husband in law school were you guys competing so my husband was actually in the class above me in law school um 
so he graduated a year ahead of me um and we <laughs> so every guy at BYU law school it seemed like was married and I thought so I just assumed that my husband was not single I assumed that he was married and so um I, I I mean I we were friendly um but uh I thought he was somebody else's husband, so he was not on my radar until we attended a singles event, and I went up to him, and I said, hey, where's your wife? Because <laughs> I thought he was, like, in leadership for the event or something, yeah. and um, he was like, oh, I'm not married, and I thought, oh, my gosh, he probably got divorced. Like, that's how sure I was that he was married, and turned out he'd never been married. He was just a single guy at law school, but, and so... Um, it was a funny interaction, um, awkward on my part, but, uh, we became friends after that. And then we were friends for probably a good, gosh, two years before we started dating. Um, we both had told ourselves we weren't going to date attorneys <laughs> or law students. And, um, and yeah, so the rest is history. And so, yeah, we met at law school. It was, it was fun. He's my best friend. And isn't that true when you tell yourself you aren't going to do something, it always happens. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's probably fun that you guys have the same passion so you can nerd out and be lawyers together. Definitely. I would say the majority of our conversations <laughs> revolve around dumb law jokes and other stuff. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun to have somebody who's um, going through similar experiences and a career in law can be quite demanding and so having somebody that understands those demands um, it, it is it is really nice. Currently are you a consultant for, for lawyers? Is that what you're doing? Or Yeah, so um, I'm actually a recruiter, um, recruiter that's what it is. Do, and do mergers and acquisitions for law firms. So if a firm is looking to acquire a different law firm they would work with me and my partner so you guys i had talked about how i was creepy and even called some people for interviews and natalie was one of those people i found her law her business online and just called her and left a message like a creeper <laughs> no it's so flattering but you were so nice when you called back i was like oh phew she doesn't think that i'm so creepy <laughs> but um and so you've been doing that. And then did you do styling sort of to put yourself through college or? I became so passionate about this idea of dressing for the part that you want in life and the power that dress can have. And I would say that that passion started around junior high again when I realized that how I dressed impacted the way others saw me. Um, I began watching every episode of What Not to Wear and like every kind of clothing show and I read a ton of books on style and dress and every fashion magazine I could get a hold of it was almost a problem at some points <laughs> how obsessive I was uh, about um, just educating myself on different on different things and so um, when I was in undergrad I got my first job at a really nice women's clothing store and within the first three months I had one of the highest sales records of the, the western United States and it wasn't because I was really aggressive in sales at all it was because when a, a person would 
would come in. I was just so excited to, to talk to them about the, what they were looking for. And then I was able to direct them to the things in the store that I knew would look good on their body type and um, would look good with their coloring. And so I was able to find things really quickly that people wanted. And as a result, people would come in and continue to shop with me or would make appointments with appointments with me when I later left um, that job to take another job for school I had a bunch of people that still wanted to go shopping with me and so I started doing styling on the side and when I went to law school I thought that that was over because I moved states and I I didn't have that client base anymore but within my second year of law school around the time that I started making peace with the fact that I wasn't going to be the top of my class I started my styling business again in Utah and I ended up taking classmates that, you know, wanted to maybe change their look for their dream job shopping and it, it really took off. I had a wonderful group of clients there and occasionally I still work with people in Utah. So as a stylist, I would not call myself a fashionista by any means. I don't get me wrong, like I love a good trend and I, I try to stay up to date on, on all things fashion. But when I meet with a client, I really like to figure out what they want in life and talk to them about their own goals and to see how style can work for them and be used as a tool for them. I think too often with advertising and different things in in the world of fashion, we as the consumer are told that if we don't look good in a certain thing, that something is wrong with our bodies something is wrong with us. So if I don't look good in a certain pair of jeans, it's because I need to lose a few. <laughs> Instead of saying, oh, that jean- those jeans don't work for me. I need to find something else um, when I work with clients. I, I try to remind them of that. You know, there are things out there that can make us feel good, but there are also things out there that are kind of meant to make us feel bad so that we we try to consume them. And it's, it's super backwards. I can't imagine going into an iPhone store and having an iPhone not work for us and then the the Apple person telling it you that well it's because you're overweight or <laughs> or that 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 phone just you know you need to be worthy of that phone. <laughs> That's just ridiculous and yet we see it every day. And so when I work with clients I I talk with them about how a lot of the things that we view as beautiful or the our society or culture view as beautiful are social constructs. Like it's, it's made that way for a reason. And so I ask them how they want to dress. And I kind of give them the option to be creative with it. You know, um, in our society, straight lines and that kind of thinner look is in style. But that doesn't mean that because something's in style, we, we have to choose it. We can choose other things. And so I like giving that power back to somebody and helping them pick what works best for them and helping them accomplish their goals and you don't need a stylist for that you can do that on your own you know deciding what brings you joy deciding what goals you have and then researching and figuring out what what you can do what's within your power and your control um, to bring that about and being aware of those messages that you're sending out to others no I totally agree because I'm a pear shape figure and those 
dresses that are just straight line boxy i they look terrible on me you know <laughs> they make me look huge and shorts do not work with my body like <laughs> you know like so the, these little things that i've just found that that i can rock a dress but like shorts are gonna make me look even shorter because i'm already short and make my legs look stubby you know and so i love that you give people the opportunity to be creative and find what what they love and like with the iphone that that really sometimes we're told like hey this is what in style but yeah that might be in style for a certain body type but it's gonna look terrible on someone else see and and, and even i love i love everything that you just said and even the concept that something looks terrible on us is still a social construct like in other um in other periods of time um which i love love researching the history of style because i just find it so fascinating to see that at different times and in different cultures different things are beautiful and so even the fact that we would say i'm also short (laughs) for the record um and have felt some of the things that you just expressed but that like that we look terrible because we look shorter would be something beautiful at a different time and so kind of opening our eyes up and seeing that that bodies are beautiful and people are beautiful and we can tweak different things. And for example, um, if I'm working with somebody who's single, who's looking to meet the most people possible and look attractive to the most people possible, we're probably going to stay pretty close to the social norms. And we're going to take a look at, I even like researching like different science studies that come out and see what most people find attractive. And we kind of adhere to that, but it's for the purpose of dating and getting, you know, getting that kind of attention. But I also like to be careful and say, you know, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with us. It's just kind of playing the game. Um, and, and that's kind of where I'm still growing and researching and, and doing my own self-discovery with style and fashion is that on one hand, it's all about conforming and it's all about the way we look and um, what society dictates to us. And on the other hand, it really shouldn't be. <laughs> and so finding that I, I'm still kind of looking for that ground of, of truth. So what are some of your favorite styling tips that you tell your clients? You know, everybody is so different that it's hard to give general um general statements about that type of thing however a good pair of dark wash jeans looks good on just about everybody i think it's probably the biggest staple that i have with both men and women and again fashions will change things will happen but that's that seems to be super flattering so if you are looking for an update to your wardrobe look see if you have a pair of dark wash jeans that that fit well So I love how you combine these two worlds. You combine the law world, you combine your stylist world, and you're able to help people be their best professional self. And just like that quote, you can be anything if you dress for it, I I think is a good thing to to remember. Because when I just put on a, a hat and I'm in workout clothes, I'm not feeling my most confident. But when I have on a skirt and some lipstick, you're, you feel like you can conquer the world, you know? And sometimes I think that we look at clothes and it's like, oh, it's just something to wear. But I, I love your story because it shows that as you dress the part of an Oxford student, as you dress the part of a nerd, that, that, that you were able to feel smart. 
Yeah, and I think that people discount it because the reality is we shouldn't make assumptions or judgments about people's souls, worthiness, intelligence levels, all of those things based on what they look like. But unfortunately, the reality is, is that we do. You know, we, we walk through life making judgments and on some level we have to or else we would get out of bed and we wouldn't know what to do next and life would, would be difficult. And so we operate on these judgments And I think it's really important to be aware of that so that we don't fall into traps that where biases and other things start to maybe have unseen negative consequences on those around us. But, you know, the bottom line is style and the way we dress is a way of communicating with those around us. And that's one thing that I do both in my professional styling business and also in my recruiting business where I have to sometimes help someone see what they are communicating to others and what they might be strongly communicating to others. And I I like this example. Okay, so for example, I had a styling client who came to me who was having a really hard time finding a job. And I ended up going through his wardrobe and he showed me what he had been wearing to interviews and he happened to be interviewing for law firms. And I knew pretty quickly what the the problem was. His, His attire looked very sloppy and it didn't fit him well and it, it looked in a little bit of disrepair like it, it had a couple spots on that it was probably time to retire the suit and I asked him why he was wearing that suit to the interview and he said that he couldn't afford a better suit and that he, he felt that he was communicating wisdom financially that he wasn't purchasing something that he might have um, can't afford but what he was projecting to a potential interviewer was that he that he didn't care about the interview that he was sloppy, that he didn't take good care of the things that he had. And that wasn't the reality of the situation, and that wasn't what this person um, actually was doing, but that's what that was being perceived. And so I think having somebody help you in whatever part of your life you're in, um, kind of make sure that what you think you're communicating, what you're actually communicating are lining up. Now, we don't have a great amount of control on, on what others perceive about us, and people can see things differently, but I ended up going shopping with this person. We found something good that within his price range, and he got a new suit to go do interviews, and he actually was offered the next job that he interviewed for and he was able over a, a, a very short period of time to double his income and really the only change was because he was this very hard-working intelligent person the only change was that he changed the way he dressed and he changed the way he presented himself and it's it I always think about it again you know is that right is that fair I don't know but it it is what it is and I've seen it time and time again and that's why I remain so passionate about styling is that it really does give you the opportunity to change your life. And so if you are stuck in a rut, if you are stuck and you don't know maybe why things keep happening or, or why opportunities are being denied you, maybe looking and saying, okay, what within my scope can I change? And sometimes looking at our dress or any way that we're communicating with people, when we take a look at it, it can give us great opportunities for change. I love that. That all it was was change, like changing his suit, you know, that he was a hardworking, intelligent man and would be a great employee. But 
when they saw his suit, they weren't able to get past the fact that he looked a little sloppy. Yeah, well, and I think we all know, we all have those friends, right? We all have those people, maybe we are those people, where it's like, you're the best girl in the room, and you're just, you're gonna, you would make the best girlfriend, you'd be the best person, and maybe, you know, you need to update a couple of things. And again, is that right? Probably not. Is it the reality? Yeah. And that back and forth keeps me up at night. But it is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Like how you're like, it's not fair, but but that's how it is sometimes. Well, and that's what I usually talk to with my clients. Because I feel uh, most people that call me are ready to make a change. But when we sit down and we talk about what we want to change, there's almost always a pushback. And there's almost always the comment of, well, that's not fair. And you're right. But do you want to be right or do you want to accomplish this goal that you have in mind? And, you know, if we hit it on all fronts, we're probably going to accomplish that goal. And I've seen people, you know, again, double their income, triple their income in some cases um, and triple their their dates. Well, and so this might be a little silly, but I remember a while back being like, okay, I'm going to have like a first date shirt and a second date shirt. And my roommates would make fun of me, but it was like what I knew I felt confident in. So I could hurry and put it on and and feel great. And even though they like would make fun of it, it was like, no, I know that this shirt, like I feel like I can rock it. And so that's what I'm going to wear. Scientists have done studies and they found that women do not flirt when the guy looks cute. That's not what determines if a woman is flirty. Women flirt when they look cute. So men are different. They'll they'll kind of put themselves out there even if they're not feeling their most confident in terms of the way they look. But women, we tend, and again, these are trends. Not everybody is like this, but we tend to clam up a little bit if we're not feeling super secure. But when we feel secure, when we feel like we look pretty man we get out there no totally when your hair's washed you know (laughs) yeah I mean you're much more likely to go up and talk to somebody you're much more likely to maybe flirt a little bit more and so it's interesting to me because I'll work with a client who will say like oh my dating life has gotten so much better and I have all these dates now and I'll think you know I I really I do not deserve the credit for that because although we've changed the way that maybe she's dressing or her hairstyle I doubt that's why all of a sudden all these men are interested in her. I think it's more due to the fact that when somebody feels good about themselves, they they make others feel good about themselves. You're much more likely to engage and put yourself out there and not be afraid of rejection if you feel like you look good. And something that you said there, I'm like, really, that's what style is all about. That when you feel good about yourself, you're willing to make others feel good about themselves, you know? And just everything that you've been saying, I feel like that that all ties in together. And so, so it is important. So if you could have a conversation with yourself at 12 or 13, what what's some wisdom that you would share? Oh, I would probably just give her a hug. Uh, really, I mean, I just feel so much love for that younger version of myself you know I think almost everybody probably feels that way about 12 or 13 it's such a tender age (laughs) a lot of times we're trying to figure out you know who we are maybe we're years away from discovering that I feel like I'm still discovering that but I would just give her a hug and tell her I loved her and telling her tell her everything's gonna be great 
so simple, but uh, your 13-year-old self, that would mean the world. So. And so my last question for you is maybe someone's listening and they they feel like they aren't smart enough. They have this academic goal, they have this career goal, and they're like, I'll never get that. That's impossible. I am too dumb. What's your advice to them? Change the way you're thinking about it. And for me, the way I dressed was the way that I think I physically and symbolically decided to change the, the my thought patterns about the situation I was in. But the bottom line is, you know, Edith Head says you can have anything in life if you dress for it. I think it's more a matter of we can have anything in life that we that we set our minds for. There's a, there's a, an old quote, it's a spiritual quote that says, the way our thoughts go in life will determine our life. And I think that's correct. So I would say if you're feeling insecure about the way you look, if you're feeling insecure about how intelligent you are, anything, embrace where you're at, give yourself some self-love, and start changing the way you think. You know, write, I'm smart in huge letters on your mirror. Do a permanent marker if you need. Don't do that. But um, start putting physical um, manifestations of that in your life. And it'll it'll change everything. It's putting faith, basically, in yourself and in, and in the opportunities that you want. So true. And, and hearing you talk, it makes me be like, yeah, I can do whatever, you know, just hearing your experience. So your example of that. Um, one thing I wanted to, to ask that I didn't earlier. So the first time you went to Oxford, you're there for internship. What were your thoughts when you're on the campus? Um, so I'm a fairly emotional person, but I spent probably my first couple hours when I had some time alone, um, wandering around Oxford nearly in tears. I, I, to me, that felt like the moment where I had done it, you know, graduating, other things maybe should have felt like that moment, but walking around Oxford, a place that I think, especially for Americans, we see so much as like the epitome of intelligence, um, or the, the most intelligent place, uh, it, it changed the way I felt inside. And it made me realize that maybe I wasn't an imposter. Maybe I wasn't um, faking everybody out. Maybe I had worked hard. And maybe, you know, I had also had great opportunities and should maybe, instead of focusing on what I didn't have or um, things I lacked, um, it started to shift into gratitude for me where I started focusing on what I could do and what I did have and wandering around there with my little Oxford shoes <laughs> really was a dream come true and it changed my life. Really, as you're talking, I'm like, I would be bawling to be at Oxford, you know, like this thing that you've dressed like um, since you were in junior high. You are finally an Oxford student for that semester. Like, how cool. I think the reason that I love your whole everything that you've been saying is because it just motivates me with like running of being like, okay, if I really want this. And I remember one day I was out running and I was just in like sweats and like a frumpy t-shirt. And I was like, I was looking at everyone around me that looked like these runners from a catalog. And I, I thought, you know what, if I want to feel like a runner, I need to start dressing like a runner. And so I went and got like athletic wear that, that fit. And that sounds like such a small thing, but it really did change instead of just going out in some sweats I was like no like I'm investing in this and wanting to look the part 
Yeah, and I don't, again, I don't even understand all the science behind it, but I do know that it becomes one of this, almost this symbolic thing. When we put enough of our energy and time into investing into a certain thing and communicating a certain thing, I've watched it time and time again with myself and with clients. Thank you so much for being on today. I really have loved everything that you've said. I'm like, this is such a fun interview. By just making a little change in your wardrobe, it it opened up doors that seemed impossible. They they did seem impossible. And I guess if I were to leave on any note, it would be that, you know, small changes in any way, it doesn't have to be the way we dress, but small changes can accomplish really big things. And um, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. I've really enjoyed this. So thank you so much for having me. You guys, if you have been listening and you're like, man, I really want updated style, then you can contact Natalie for her consulting at thurstonstyling at gmail.com. Or if you're an attorney that has questions about making the next move, then her her website at azlawsearch.com will also, a link to that will be at noblepeeps.com. So thanks so much guys for listening and remember to put on your shoes, do your best and believe in the impossible. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. Thanks again for pushing play and listening to this episode. If you want more information about today's guest, head over to www.notablepeeps.com.